Okay, uh, on Sunday we kind of did an introduction to Philippians. Uh, just a couple of things that uh, we didn't get to before we uh, apply right into chapter 1. Uh, just a couple of big themes uh, of the book. I mean, there's certainly more than just these two themes, but the two, I think, biggest themes are unity and joy. In fact, the words joy or rejoice are mentioned 16 times in the book, in, in four chapters. So, you know, those are uh, a couple of definite themes. Uh, there isn't a lot of controversy over who wrote the book. You would think that the, the first verse would pretty much take care of that, but there are those that would say, oh, it's somebody that claimed to be Paul. Uh, but uh, a number of the early church fathers, quote-unquote, uh, attributed uh, the book to Paul, you know, Polycarp, you know, in, early in the second century. So within 50 years or so of its writing, uh you know, mentioned in some of his writings uh, that it was written by Paul and, uh, you know, several of the others that lived in the second and third century. So there's really not a lot of controversy about that. So those were a couple of leftover things from the introduction. But, uh, so let's turn to chapter one. And... Uh, if I could get a volunteer to read the first 11 verses of chapter 1. Fred? This is the NIV. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you, since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and what may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Okay, thank you. So, starts off, you know, Paul. And, you know, we kind of introduced Paul when we uh, started Ephesians. Uh, it's not much known about him prior to his conversion. Uh, not much known about his family. He did have a sister. Acts 23 tells us that. Uh, also tells us his father was a Pharisee. Uh he was born a Roman citizen. We find that out in uh, Acts 22 and 23. Uh, which indicates that his father probably had some status 
uh, within uh, the Roman Empire to be able to be born a citizen. Uh, he was born in the city of Tarsus, which is not in the area of Palestine, but he grew up in Jerusalem. Uh, and we know that, again, from what he said, he spent his early life uh, being taught by Gamaliel, who was uh, part of the Sanhedrin, uh, and one that was uh, kind of a noted <laughs> scholar of the law. So, uh, and then uh, mentions Timothy. What do we know about Timothy? He was a young preacher. What else? Old son in the gospel. Okay. What does that mean? I didn't know you had children in the gospel. Paul was like a father to him, um, raised him to be a Christian, uh, probably converted him and baptized him, um, but taught him pretty much everything he knows about Christ. Yeah, uh, I think it's a fairly safe assumption to say that Paul taught Timothy, hence calling him his son in the gospel or in the faith. Uh, I think that's a reasonable conclusion. Uh, do we know where Timothy was from? I see some head shaking. Yes, I see no one offering a. Uh... <laughs> it's actually from the city of Lystra, which was in uh, uh, the area of Galatia, so in Asia Minor. You know, my PowerPoint up here uh, Sunday. You know, that big area that's modern day Turkey is. Uh, Asia Minor so he was uh, was from there uh, Paul visited there uh, in Acts 14 and probably taught Timothy while he was there we don't know for sure but that's uh, a reasonable guess uh, do we know anything about Timothy's parents Becky? His mom was a Jew, his dad was a Greek. Yes. Acts 16.1. So, a mixed marriage, if you want to call it that. Uh, do we know anything else about his parents? His mom was a believer. Yes. And her mom? Also a believer. Second uh, Timothy one and verse five, uh, Paul talks about the unfeigned faith that first dwelt in his grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice. Uh, so that would lead us to believe that they were converted even before Timothy was. Uh, it said that faith first dwelt in them. Uh, Did the Philippians know Timothy? Had they ever met? I see a few heads shaking, yes. In Acts 16, he's accompanying Paul. Yes. Yes. Acts 16, 3, I think it is. Uh, Paul went through Lystra and took Timothy with him. Uh, and so, 
that, as we talked Sunday, that would have been Paul's first visit to Philippi because he wasn't planning to go to Macedonia. You know, we looked in, in Acts 16, you know, I think we started about verse 6, so just a few verses after uh, the verse that uh, that Josiah mentioned. Uh, he was hindered from going further on into Asia, and he uh, had the, the vision of the man of Macedonia come over to help us, and so he came to Macedonia, and uh, then to Philippi, and you know we looked uh, there in Acts 16 about the different things that happened. Uh, but Timothy was with him, and so Timothy would have been there when the first Christians were converted in Philippi, uh, and he had been there uh, at least one other time uh, as well. And uh, I think in Philippians 2.19, it talks about him about to make a third visit. So yeah, they knew Timothy, for sure. And uh, Paul mentions Timothy more than any other person in his writings. So, an indication they were very close, uh, much like a father-son sort of relationship. Uh in fact, Timothy is mentioned uh, in the, the introduction here in Philippians, but also in five other New Testament books. In 2 Corinthians, Colossians, 1 and 2 Thessalonians, and Philemon. Uh, so, yeah, when when uh, Paul went, when Paul broke up with uh, uh, Barnabas, he took Silas with him. Wasn't it Silas with him there in Philippi? Yes. Silas, you know, he took Silas when they left Antioch, I think it was. Yes. But they went to Lystra in, you know, the early part of chapter 16, and Timothy went with them. So, you know, specifically records Paul and Silas in jail. Maybe there were others as well, maybe not. But Timothy was definitely there with them. Uh, so, uh, okay, any other thoughts on that? Okay, then it says, you know, bond servants of Jesus Christ. So what does it mean to be a servant of Christ? the idea of a servant you would have a master okay it would be voluntary but it would be because of a field of obligation okay now the the word that's used is actually the word that is most often translated slave uh, and some slaves were involuntary but I agree with you this was voluntary uh, no one is forced to follow Christ, uh, but they uh, do so willingly uh, and lovingly as they uh, serve their divine master. But I think it's interesting that Paul mentions that right off the bat because he's setting the stage for some things he's going to talk about later in the book, especially as you get into chapter 2. 
the first 11 verses discussion of humility and service that is best exemplified in the example of Christ. Uh, so, he introduces that right at the beginning, and that's just a preview of coming attractions. <coughs> so, uh, I don't think there's any accident that that's mentioned at the beginning. Uh, Isn't this the only letter where Paul and Timothy are called slaves when they're both mentioned together? Ah, uh, that's a good question. I don't know the answer to that. But the fact that you're mentioning that might well be make that true. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, I'll have to look at that. I see your point, though. Yeah. It is an emphasis in yeah. this book. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and then it's addressed to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. So, what are saints? Sanctified. Okay. Yeah, literally the word means holy ones. Uh, you know, there's certainly must some misunderstanding in the religious world about the term saint. Uh, you know, there are some that look as saint that look at saints as being deceased people who didn't become sainted until well after they died. Uh, but we don't find the scriptures using that term. Uh, and, you know, here he addresses this to the saints who are at Philippi. They are very much alive. Uh, would indicate that they were God's possessions, uh, God's own possession. Uh, that kind of term is also used of the Israelites uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, Daniel chapter 7, verse 18 and 22. Uh, Deuteronomy 14, 22. And uh, Exodus 19, 6 talks about a holy nation. Uh, so, uh, the idea of being holy ones uh, you know, goes well back in the scriptures. And then First Peter 1, verses 15 and 16, Be you holy, for I am holy. Uh, so, so one's relationship with Christ will affect their actions and causes them to be rightly called saints. And then he says, including the overseers and deacons, or bishops and deacons, uh, some other translations say, uh, no other of the epistles are addressed this way to the, you know, bishops and deacons, or overseers and deacons. Uh, so apparently Paul's wanting to emphasize that. And uh, you know their work is is a work of service as they oversee or superintend what's being done by others shepherd, feed, tend, watch, rule, administer all words that we find in the scriptures talking about the work of elders or, or bishops uh, and those terms are actually used interchangeably uh, in Acts chapter 20 
when Paul is addressing the elders uh, in Ephesus. So, uh, so the different terms really uh, refer to uh, you know different parts of that function. Uh, now there are some who have uh, made a distinction between elders and bishops. Uh, in the scriptures, you always see a plurality, never just one, uh, and they're used interchangeably. But uh, some denominations have a position of bishop that would be over elders. And there might be one bishop over uh, a, a group of churches. And, and then there's archbishops and uh, uh, quite the, the hierarchy. And I think most of us know uh, which uh, denomination is especially... Uh, prominent in that role Uh, but again in the scriptures we don't find that distinction Uh, and then deacons are mentioned as well and these are uh, men appointed by the church uh, to serve in various ways Uh, yeah Brent Um, it struck me thinking about this this time that Paul's writing to it says to all God's holy people or all all the saints. Um, he doesn't like write to the elders and say, "Oh, by the way, you can read this to all the <laughs> Christians there too." He writes to the saints along with the elders. So I, I, I don't know if that's making more of it than um, should than we should. But it's just interesting that Paul himself um, is writing directly to mm-hmm. all this all the Christians there. Yeah. No, I think that's that's accurate. I mean, you, you look at the, the language to all the saints, including the overseers and deacons. So, yeah, I, I think that's a, that's a very valid point. Uh, okay. Anything else? Verse 2. Uh, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is an interesting greeting if you drill down a little bit. Uh, the word that was used was not the normal Greek word that was used for a greeting. Uh, he, Paul uses a word that means grace. And so most translations translate it that way. But it was not the word that the Greeks, in the Greek culture, you would usually use for a greeting. So, I think that's intentional, uh, that Paul is making a point. Uh, And, usually there's just the one word, greeting, but Paul makes it longer. Grace to you and peace so uh, Paul I think is trying to emphasize that and link those two this peace would naturally follow from the grace and is due to this fellowship our reconciliation 
to God that's made possible by Christ. Uh, So, there's a connection there. And Paul makes that connection. But that's not the way that a greeting to start a letter would typically be done back at that time. Uh, So, I found that to be interesting. Uh, And so I think he's trying to make uh, emphasize that. And notice he says, from God, our Father. So, this wasn't Paul's greeting so much as it was God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, pointing out, this is not just my think-sos, this is from God. And the word Father was the word that was commonly used in a household with like young children addressing their fathers. That's the word that's used there. When Jews addressed God and addressed him as a father, they never used that word. Uh, that was that was too informal to them. Uh, so they used a word that was much more formal. But Jesus, when he prayed to God, did use Abba. Uh, almost exclusively. And he taught his disciples to pray in that same manner in Matthew 6. As well as other accounts in the Gospels. So, uh, I think what that tells us is that we as Christians, even today, should look upon God as a loving and caring Father, uh, like we would even our physical fathers that care for us. And that, you know, we're adopted sons of God. And, you know, we should be comfortable approaching God. Uh, that's not to say that we should be irreverent, but approaching him as a loving and caring father is not irreverent. So, uh, I found that interesting as well. So, any, uh, any thoughts or comments on that? It's... Uh, Amazing what you can find in just looking at introductions like that. Okay. Uh, then we get to, uh, to verse 3. It says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Uh, so, Paul is thanking God for them. And we'll see he, in the verses that follows, he has a very close relationship with them and special feelings for them. So it shouldn't be surprising that he's thanking God for them. Uh, and that should be a lesson to us. We need to be thankful to God 
for our brethren. How often do we do that? Probably not as much as we should. But that's a lesson here. Uh, And he says, in all my remembrance, which indicates to us that he thought about them frequently as well. So, we can... uh, we can learn from that. And says, always offering prayer with joy. There's that word joy. Uh, uh, but offering prayer with joy in my every prayer for you all. And the word prayer in verse 4, I found, is not the normal general word for prayer but is the word that would mean supplication or petition. Uh, so, you know, pet- petitions on behalf of another, you know, supplications, prayers specifically for another and for their needs uh, is specifically the kind of prayer he's mentioning that he offers. So when he thinks of them, he's thinking of their needs and putting those before the Father. So that's uh, that's special. And we'll see at the end of this section we read, Paul will have a specific prayer for them. So his thanksgiving was expressed with joy. Uh, And so when we think about that joy, I think it was more than just excitement or an emotion. Because if you look elsewhere in the letter, there's indications that Paul's joy for them would not be as great if they weren't faithful to Jesus. Uh, Chapter 4 and verse 1 would indicate that. And in chapter 2 and verse 2, it appears that his joy would be increased. It says would be made complete if they heeded his pleas for unity, being of the same mind and united in spirit and ten on one purpose. So, this joy could increase or decrease based upon how they responded to this message. So, uh, so that makes it more than just an emotion. It's based upon their relationship with God. And when you think about our relationships together, think about you know fellowship, which will be mentioned uh, in verse 5, depending on, again, the translation you look at. Uh, 
the New American Standard says participation. Uh, I forget what your version that you read from Brad said. Verse five. Partnership is yeah, partnership. partnership. Okay. Uh, and that word is translated various ways uh, throughout the scriptures. Uh, but we have fellowship with God and His Son, 1 John 1 and verse 3. We're also said to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit in uh, you know, Philippians 2 and verse 1 uh, talks about the fellowship of the Spirit. Uh, and back in 1 John 1 says as we walk in the light we have fellowship with one another uh, so our fellowship is both vertical between man and God and horizontal between man and man but our relationship together our horizontal relationship is based upon our vertical relationship with God so as we walk together and have fellowship with God that's the basis of our fellowship together with one another Uh, so Paul ties that in here as well uh, in, in what he's saying and he says from the first day until now uh, as we talked about Sunday, probably 12, 10 years or so had passed between the time that he first came to Philippi and the time of this writing. Uh, but he talks about the fellowship that they had even at the first. Uh, and if you... Uh, if you look at that, uh, I want to turn you know, turn to Second Corinthians chapter eight. So I want to talk a little bit about that fellowship and what that means, because sometimes we get uh, we get a little tied up, especially in the uh, religious world. Uh, you know, there's fellowship halls and fellowship. Can oftentimes have the the meaning of recreation and partying and enjoyment, and I'll grant you there should be joy and fellowship, but uh, I think it's carried way too far. But look in Second Corinthians chapter eight, uh, verse the first five verses. It says, Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which has been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much entreaty for the favor of participation, that's that word fellowship, Uh, in the support of the saints and this not as we had expected but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God 
So, he's talking about the churches of Macedonia. Well, Philippi was right there in Macedonia, so I think they're included with that. And uh, Paul mentions uh, multiple times in the book about their fellowship with him, uh, and he'd received from them multiple times. Uh, And so I think this included their helping to support him. And, uh, And so here in 2 Corinthians 8 says they gave beyond their ability because they first gave themselves to the Lord. And so by giving yourself to the Lord it should make you generous especially with those that are preaching the gospel uh, and so he mentions their participation or their fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now uh, so they took this evangelism because it was participation in the gospel the good news of Christ and the spreading of that so they were dedicated to getting the the gospel to the lost Uh, and I think it speaks of their zeal for doing that not just there at home but abroad as Paul traveled around Uh, but sadly there are churches today that don't seem to have that kind of emphasis. Uh, But Paul certainly commends them for that. And this should be a good lesson for us to keep in mind and make sure we emphasize the preaching of the gospel in everything we do. So, thoughts or comments on that? Kind of keeps in the theme of servanthood. Mm-hmm. It does. That we may have different responsibilities to the body um, to further, you're <coughs> saying, the fellowship and the spreading of the gospel. Mm-hmm. So it wouldn't be a time or necessarily a place, but a uh, a given. Okay. <coughs> okay. Anything else? Okay, uh, then we get down to uh, verse 6. says, For I am confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Jesus Christ. So, <coughs> what good work do you think he might be referring to here? Serving the Lord. Okay. That's pretty broad. That is pretty broad. (laughs) Uh, I think if you look at the context, it's probably more the fellowship or the partnership with Paul in the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, So I think that's probably more what he's referring to specifically here. Now, 
Serving the Lord is a good work. No question about that. That's one way. But there are many ways uh, that we can and should serve the Lord. But here it probably is referring to their participation with Paul in furthering the gospel. And he says he's confident that he who began this good work in you will perfect it or complete it, I think the NIV said something like that. Carry it on to completion. Carry it on, okay. I thought I, completion was in there somewhere. Uh, until the, the day of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, Paul is convinced that they're continuing in this work and persevering in this work uh, that good will come from that. Uh, and, you know, that's really true of all good works. You know, if they're truly good works, and God's the one to define those, uh, then, uh, you know, those will accomplish what God wants them to accomplish. And so Paul is expressing his confidence in that. Now, there are those who have taken that and gotten once saved, always saved out of that. And I've I read some commentaries that uh, spent some time refuting that, starting from here. Uh, but uh, so don't be uh, don't be led astray by that. But there are some who uh, who would point to this first. But if you look at the context, that doesn't really seem to fit it. Yeah, Brad. Um, so I think it's interesting. Um, just the wording here uh, that he who began a, a good work in you will carry it on to completion. Uh, in my mind, it kind of begs the question of who is he talking about that began the good work? Um, uh, seems like it could go a, a couple different ways there. What, is, what thoughts do you have on that? Well, uh, for what it's worth, the New American Standard Version that I'm looking at capitalizes the H in he. Mm-hmm. Well, that's handy. Yeah, uh-huh. but mine doesn't, and that's what I was thinking too. Mm-hmm. It would have been, mm-hmm. been very clear who the yeah. he is with the capitalization. I'm going to have to write these people right? <laughs> <laughs> with a good greeting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, New King James has the capital H also. Okay. I mean, I tend to think that is the right answer God begins the work in us Uh, if it weren't for what all God has done there wouldn't be that good work and there wouldn't be us in Christ We're, we're only in that relationship because of what God has done now that's not to say that we had no choice in the matter uh, we definitely had choice. Uh, but without God doing his part, then we wouldn't have had a choice. <laughs> so, that's how it strikes me. Yeah, it uses the word begin and completion, like an alpha and omega thing too. 
<laughs> so I would think uh, this is specifically a capital H. <laughs> okay. Just thinking about Paul's comments in other places, like First Thessalonians five twenty-three, may the God of peace Himself make you completely holy. May your whole spirit and soul and body be kept complete, blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Faithful <laughs> is the one who calls you; He will complete it. Mm-hmm. Same in, in First Corinthians chapter one seven through nine. He often okay. begins his letter, ends his letter in mm-hmm. a way. Okay. Yeah. Good point. Uh, Chris, I think you had your hand up. Yeah. Paul also mentioned, you know, he didn't he didn't give this as a blanket statement in all of his letters. I guess I'm not exactly sure how to interpret it, but <laughs> um, like the Galatians, he said, you know, that they had begun in the Spirit, but he certainly didn't go on to the exact same language there, later on was saying that they were trying to be perfected in the flesh. Mm-hmm. So, it, it involves some input from the person being completed. <laughs> yeah, and... Or at least compliance. Compliance or something, yeah. 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 Well... I think Paul had a very special relationship with the Philippians. Uh, Quite possibly because they had multiple times sent to him uh, and uh, he felt a joy for them in what they were doing and how they were living. Uh, So I think that definitely indicates, you know, what they were doing was affecting this. Uh, So, uh, that to me kind of makes sense that you would find in Galatians, you know, worded differently uh, than what what you find here. that I mean that's my thought. I mean there's like two aspects of that. It's one, God God can do it. Mm-hmm. It, it, it. But I don't know that that's all he's saying here, is it? That's right. kind of broad, generic and a given almost, okay? God started this, God can finish it. Right. But but is he being more specific with them? It's like I've seen your works and I'm confident that God's mm-hmm. gonna perfect that in you mm-hmm. because you're Cooperate. You're mm-hmm. <laughs> you're going with the program, so I see it coming to fulfillment in the day of Christ. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Okay. Uh, yeah, I agree. And and back to his greeting, grace and peace to you from God. God is the source of the mm-hmm. grace and the peace. Mm-hmm. Um, and thinking about Ephesians that we just got done studying, God's the one that does the calling. Mm-hmm. He, um, we we accept his calling. And try and walk in a manner worthy, but he's the one that calls and completes all of that. Again, I think we we have to be compliant in that, and maybe not try and uh, do it ourselves and uh, earn our own salvation, but rather let God bring it to completion Himself. Yeah, and definitely not do it our own way. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Very good. Anything else?
Okay, and then verse 7, we'll at least start that. Uh, I don't think we're going to get buzzers. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, for it is only right for me to feel this way about you all, because I have you in my heart, since both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers of grace with me. Uh, so... He says, I'm right to feel this way about you because of the relationship that we have together. Uh, And he says, I have you in my heart. Uh, Even in his imprisonment says both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel so it's like because of his circumstances it makes him feel even closer to them and uh, he was what I think part of his purpose in writing to them was to let them know I'm doing okay. You know, they'd heard of his imprisonment and he'd heard they were concerned about him. I mean, we'll we'll get into that later in the book. And he didn't want them to be worried about him. Uh, And he'll even talk about how this has been an occasion to further the gospel uh, and you know he'll get into that uh, later in this chapter even uh, so uh, so he was wanting to you know reassure them of that uh, okay so and my uh, watch says we are just about done. So, any final comments? Yeah, Brett. Um, you can really see the um, intimate tie that he has with the Philippians. Yes. Um, and and it makes sense that some big things happened to him there. I'm sure that was impactful with mm-hmm. the Christians there, mm-hmm. and so they're kind of like that. That experience just mm-hmm. united them and linked them in a way that Paul is still mm-hmm. feels like they're all partners in this. Yeah, and what we looked at Sunday, right. his beginning with them wasn't good. And Paul could have said, I'm through with you guys. That's the way you're going to treat me. But he didn't do that. And so they're very grateful for that. So I think that adds to the ties. So, Okay. Thank you for your comments.